All right. Hey, it is seriously awesome to be up here. I've been up here to Salkame maybe two years ago, and I love Minnesota salt. So it is great to be up here. A little bit about myself. So I have a family. Natalie is my wife. We are big Chiefs fans. Whoop, whoop. Uh, yeah, so that's a thing. Just thought I'd get that, you know, element of my life out of the way here quick. My daughter, Isla, is down there, and then my son, Jack, is up in my arms, and then our little baby that is in my wife's belly is also present there, due in July. So that is my family. Natalie and I have been married almost five years, which is awesome. Uh, we both grew up in Des Moines, Iowa, then went to Iowa State University at the same time, went through Salt Company. I'll share a little bit more about how God impacted our life through Salt a little bit later. Uh, and then got married. I worked at Iowa State with Abby, like she said, for a couple years as the freshman guy, and then I've been in Cedar Falls, Iowa for the last year and a half, which has been great. So if you got a Bible tonight, go ahead and grab that. Matthew 9 is where we are going to be at. Matthew 9. So something also about myself and with Drake Epkis is Drake and I share a commonality, which is a love for the sport of wrestling. So one of the things happening in the state of Iowa tonight is the state wrestling tournament. There it is, state tournament. That is also like Natalie and I's third date was a wrestling tournament. So, you know, nothing like taking your new girlfriend to a wrestling meet with a bunch of ripped guys wearing virtually nothing. Somehow it still worked out for me, even though, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> that's like our third date. I think Drake Epkis was actually at that. We've talked about it. But every time, so he's from North Scott, Iowa. I'm from Southeast Polk, two wrestling communities. Talked to someone from Apple Valley, also big wrestling community up here. But here's the thing. As Drake and I have talked about that tournament and other wrestling environments, there is something that happens to me every time now that I'm out of the sport of wrestling that I watch it, something every time I watch wrestling happens to me, which is a just urge to wrestle. So like I said, I brought Elias. Elias and I, Elias is a beast. He tried out for the Saints last year, but had an injury problem and they cut him very quickly. So, you know, you can decide if, how beastly he actually is. Uh, but he is a beast. Elias and I went to a UNI wrestling meet last year about this time, and the whole time we're watching it. They're watching, we're watching them play Oklahoma State or wrestle Oklahoma State, and I'm just feeling this urge build up within me to get down there and wrestle. Just to like cut loose on the mat, start fighting someone. It is just building in me. And I am a short man. My driver's license says I'm 5'8", but I'm actually 5'7 and 3 quarters, but you can lie about that stuff, and it's okay. Elias is a mammoth, just in so many ways, except the mammoth hair, he is a bald man. <laughs> One of the most iconic structures in Cedar Falls is our Unidome. So we have our football team plays in an enclosed environment, enclosed arena, and so we were with the assistant AD, and she is taking us through this shortcut to the wrestling meet, and then we're, when we're coming back, we are cutting through the Unidome, and in the middle of the football field, in the stands, everything, in the middle of this football field was one of the practice wrestling mats. And I look at Elias, and I'm like, yep, you and me, now. <laughs> Elias, again, is huge. I did not try out for the Saints, though I could have. Uh, we start wrestling. 
it is over in 10 seconds, but it doesn't matter because I'm like, the urge is satisfied because I have just gotten to be out on the wrestling match, even though Elias wrecked my life in the middle of the Unidome. It was still a glorious moment. But here's the reality. Every time I watch wrestling, there is just something in me that as a fan, I just so desire to be out on the mat. And when I was in high school, I was terrible. I was only ever JV. I never wrestled varsity, but I just loved it. And one of the most fun things that our wrestling coaches did for us JV guys as we approached the state tournament is they would look at us and say, hey, your guys' season is over, but you still have a role to contribute to the mission of this team. You still have a role. You guys have to make these 14 varsity guys ready for the state tournament that's coming up. And when they win, you will have participated in that win and you will share in the joy of that win. And when they lose, you know what you won't have? You won't have any regret because you know that you did everything in these weeks leading up to the state tournament to help prepare these varsity guys. So us JV guys, it didn't matter that we were kind of rotating in through the varsity guys. You know, you have the team managers. It didn't matter that they're washing mats. All of us felt this cooperative role in helping our team achieve its mission as we were contributing. And then when we got to the state tournament, there is just such a satisfying moment as you see the guy that you had worked with week after week win. And then there's this this moment where you just shared in the pain of the loss, but you also felt like, man, we did everything that we could to win. And I left, I gave that guy everything I could as a practice partner. And it was fulfilling and it was satisfying. Since then, not being on a team, as I'm in the stands, there is just a longing in me as a fan, as a spectator, to get back in the game. So much so that, like, you saw that I'm a Chiefs fan. I, li- leading up to the Super Bowl, I was looking on the Chiefs job board because I'm like, man, I'm just a fan, but maybe there's something I can do to contribute on, like, a Saturday. And I'm, like, looking for, like, janitorial work in the locker room and stuff. Like, I'll drive down to Kansas City because there's just something in me that wants to contribute. There's something that feels lacking when you're just a fan. Here's what we're going to see tonight. This text in Matthew 9 is going to expose a dynamic that is plaguing the church and is plaguing your life. And it's that most of us in the church are fans of what God is doing, but not workers in what God is doing. Most of us are plagued by a spectator Christianity that can get excited about what God is doing. We can get excited about the mission he has. We can get excited about the ministry. We like what God is doing, but we have yet to contribute to the mission of God. We've yet to identify the unique way that God wants to use you in his mission to bring glory to his name to all nations. And most of you, and most of the time in my life, I am plagued by being a fan of what God is doing, but have not moved from fan to worker. And so the question tonight is very simple. Are you a fan or are you a worker? Are you a fan of what God is doing? Are you working to contribute to what God is doing? And so in this text, we are going to see an invitation to every single person in this room to move from a fan of the things of God to a worker of the, in, in the things of God. So Matthew 9 is where we're going to be at. One of the favorite verses that we have in the Salt Network is Luke 10.2. Matthew 9 is a very similar verse, 9, 35 through 38. Very similar verse to Luke 10.2, but it's Matthew's way of saying it. So here's our passage for tonight, Matthew 9, 
35 through 38, here's what it says. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus is inviting each and every one of us to move from fan to worker tonight. So here's the three questions that we have for tonight. Two of them are ones we are asking the text. And those two are first, who does Jesus call to be workers? And where does he send workers? And then the third question tonight is one that the text is going to ask you, which is, will you move from fan to worker? And what does a worker look like? So who are workers? To get that answer, let's go back a little bit in chapter 9. So Jesus is looking at his disciples. He's saying like, hey, you guys are the workers that I am sending out. Then at the beginning of chapter 10, you get Jesus identifying the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, and he sends them out. But the question is, who are these guys? How did Jesus pick them? And to get the story of the last guy that Jesus called, you see it a couple verses earlier in verse 9. So you get the call of Matthew, the last disciple that is called by Jesus. And here's Matthew's story, verse 9. As Jesus went out from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a toll booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, when he heard this, he said, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. So if Jesus is inviting you to move from fan to worker tonight, the first question is, who can be a worker? Who does Jesus call to be a worker? Well, this last disciple, Matthew, look what, who he was. So it says he's sitting in a toll booth. Some of your translations say tax collector booth, tax booth. What this was in the Jewish community, these were guys who as the Romans occupied the Jewish nation, the, Romans would, the Roman Empire would ask certain individuals to begin collecting tax so that the nation that they conquered would pay and help fund the Roman Empire. And so in the eyes of the Jewish community, these tax collectors were the lowest of the low. In their mind, these guys were committing treason. They were backstabbing their Jewish community. And so these guys, in order to get on a fast track to wealth and influence within the Roman Empire, committed treason against their own people. And now, not only were they collecting taxes, but the way they made their money was by collecting additional tax in order to be rich, to get influence. So this is Matthew's life. He is a young man who took a fast track to wealth and influence, betrayed his family and friends, and at this point in his life is most likely an outcast. Most of the time in Matthew's life is probably spent very, very alone. He might be rich, but he is extremely sad. This is Matthew's life. 
And here Matthew is in the town of Capernaum where Jesus is beginning his ministry. And Matthew maybe was hearing of all these miracles that Jesus was doing. Maybe he had heard that there was this new teacher in town and people were beginning to follow him. And there was a buzz about who this Jesus guy was. And Matthew maybe knows that. And one day he looks up and sees Jesus walking towards his toll booth. And most likely Matthew starts bracing himself for the same speech that he has heard over and over again in his life. Worthless, despicable, low life. And as Jesus approaches, he hears two words that would change his eternity. Not two words of condemnation, but instead two words of invitation. Follow me. And Matthew is probably shocked. What? He looks up, there's Jesus. This would have blown Matthew's mind. The disciples that are following Jesus at this point, this would have blown their mind. What? How could Jesus invite this guy into our crew? The lowest of the low is invited in. And Matthew, in his excitement, look what he does. He throws a party with probably his only friends, other despicable humans. Verse 10, it says, While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. These sinners would have been people who in public, in the eyes of the public, everyone knew who they were. Criminals, crooks, prostitutes, lowlifes. And look, Jesus is reclining at the table with them, just relaxed, feeling at ease with them. This is the crowd that Jesus is with. And as he is spending time with this crowd, who walks by? But verse 11, Pharisees. Who are Pharisees? Pharisees are religious leaders of the day. These are the top of the top, the top echelon of society. It's who you wanted to be in the Jewish community. In the eyes of the Jewish community, if anyone gets an opportunity to be with Jesus, it's these guys. And they walk by and they pull the disciples aside. And what do they say? Hey, why does your teacher spend time with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus overhears this and he says, hey, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire not mercy, or I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus hears what they're saying. He hears them saying that, what is he doing with those type of people? People that they would never associate with. And Jesus is like, hey, you got it all backwards. These are exactly the sort of people I came for. These are exactly the sort of people that I want with me. These are exactly the sort of people that I am inviting to follow me. And in your religious pursuit, you have missed the reality that you are also sick. And that I desire mercy and not religious performance or sacrifice. And I didn't come to call people that think they have it all together, but people who know that they are sinful and have no business being used by God. There was no allusion to Matthew. He knew that he had no business getting to follow Jesus. He knew that he had no business getting to be used by him. Guys, that is who Jesus calls to be workers. People who know beyond a shadow of doubt that I have no business getting to be used by Jesus. People who know that they are broken and messed up. And it was only by his grace that they could even imagine being used by him. When Natalie and I came to Iowa State, we were both in very dark places. 
I was telling Elias on the way up about one of the third, third or fourth weekends in Ames when I almost got an MIP and I had been gotten caught up into the drinking scene, the partying scene, and everything that comes with it. And when I think about what God pulled me out of my freshman year, and when I think about what God pulled Natalie out of her freshman year, I think, how on earth do I get to do what I get to do? I have no business getting to stand up here and hold a Bible and tell you guys about Jesus. But it's exactly those sorts of people that Jesus uses. People who know that they have no business being used by him. Why? So that God gets all the glory when we get to see by his grace what he does as we act in faithfulness. Guys, you might find yourself in a tax collector booth. Maybe it's not a literal one, but it's a metaphorical one. It's a spiritual one. And you're feeling trapped in the guilt of past decisions. You're feeling trapped in a life that you don't know how to get out of. You're feeling trapped in the shame and brokenness that exists in your life. And what Jesus wants to say to you is, follow me. You don't have to have your life all together to get to be used by God. You don't have to figure things out or clean your life up in order to be Jesus' disciple. You just have to know that you are broken and Jesus is the answer. That is who Jesus uses. And when we are people that understand that in our guts to a core level, then Jesus begins to send us right back into a world of brokenness. That's our second question. Where does Jesus send us? Look back at verse 35. So Jesus is walking with these disciples who have no business being used by him. And he continues. It says, verse 35, Jesus continued going around all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. Here's where Jesus sends us. He says, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of harvest to send out workers into his harvest. You see, when you understand grace and the gospel and you begin to follow Jesus, what you begin to see is God will change the way that you see people into the way that he sees people. And how did Jesus see these people? He saw them as distressed and dejected. Sheep without a shepherd. And what happened in Jesus' heart? He felt compassion for them. Guys, when you know that you have no business being used by Jesus, when you know that it is only by his grace that he has rescued you from the darkness of your life, you will be in a place to be sent right back into a dark world with the message of hope that is the gospel. You see, Jesus calls people out of tax collector booths. He calls people out of darkness. He heals them, and then he sends them right back into a world full of darkness and brokenness and people trapped in the spiritual tax collector booths of their sin. He, he sends you right back into the broken world that his heart breaks for. Guys, we are a part of a network and Colin said it so great that there are 400 other universities that break our heart, that there are students on those campuses that don't all have a church that is for them. And then you zoom out and there are over 100 cities that have the 100 most highest population and they are filled with people with an eternal destiny. 
And there is a burden that we feel as a network for the gospel to go there into dark places, to broken people, to people who feel trapped in shame and guilt, who feel trapped in the weight of their sin. And we want to be people who have been healed by the grace of Jesus and then sent right back into a world that is full of darkness. That is where Jesus sends us. And when we begin to understand who Jesus calls and why he can call us, it will begin to shape and reorient the way that we see every single human in our life. Our heart will begin to break and fill with compassion the same way Jesus' heart breaks and fills with compassion for people. Seeing them as distressed and dejected, sheep without a shepherd, trapped in sin. That is where Jesus sends us. People who have been called by his grace and sent right back into a dark and broken world. So guys, that leaves us with this final question. Will you move from fan to worker? You see, look what Jesus says, verse 37. He looks at this crowd. He looks at these people, and he says this. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. He says there is more ministry opportunities than there are workers to capitalize on it. The harvest is abundant. There are crowds that my heart breaks for, but there are not enough workers. There are too many people who might get excited about what God is doing, but have yet to enter into the game. They are spectators. They might be up in the stands, but they're not down on the mat. Jesus' desire is for more workers. The workers are few. There are more people that God has sovereignly ordained to hear the gospel than there are people to tell them the gospel. He says the workers are few. So what is his prayer? His prayer is that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into his harvest. Because this is the verse that animates us as a network. It's a recognition that there are more people that God has prepared to hear the gospel than there are people prepared to speak the gospel. And when you recognize who you are outside of Christ, that you were someone that was broken and you were once a sheep that was lost, but now has been found and brought into the fold of Christ, Jesus has called you to go right back into a harvest, to add to the number of people willing and prepared to speak the gospel, to people that he is prepared to hear the gospel. So the question to you tonight is, will you move from fan to worker? Will you move from a spectator, of, a spectator of ministry to a worker of ministry? Will you get in the game? And here's the reality, the same way for me in JV wrestling, your role might look different than other people's role. The way, the unique way God wants to use you to contribute to his mission, to reach the nations with the gospel, might look different than the person sitting next to you. But there is a joy and a fulfillment and a satisfaction when you, when you realize your role in God's mission to reach the nations, to reach the harvest. And Jesus is inviting you tonight to become a worker. So what does a worker look like? Very practical. There are four distinguishing marks of a worker. It is calling, 
conviction, character, and competency. Four distinguishing marks. If you want to move from fan to worker, you need to think through these four categories. Calling, conviction, character, competency. So calling, what is calling? Calling is this. Each and every one of you in this room has a calling to join the mission of God. You have a call to ministry. If you've grown up around the church, you maybe have heard of people that work for the church have a call to ministry. Well, here's the reality. Jesus has called every single believer into ministry. You have a call to ministry, and you need to discern what that is. Don't be passive in discerning what your call into ministry is. And the reality is everyone is called into ministry. It just looks different for everyone. And you need to actively work to discern what unique purpose God has for your life to contribute to the mission of God. What is your call? If you're going to be a worker, you have to know your call. Second one, let's go with character. If you're going to be a worker, you've got to have character. Guys, here's the reality. Uh, I maybe don't have a baseline of physicality anymore because, you know, multiple kids, lots of uh, popcorn. I actually do eat a bag of popcorn almost every night. I don't know. Microwave popcorn is my thing. I love it. I love it so much. I don't know why. It's just so good. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing. I might not be able to, you know, do physical things like walk up steps anymore. But there was a time when I was on JV wrestling that though I was not skilled in wrestling, I did have a baseline of strength and conditioning. Because if I was going to contribute to my wrestling team, I had to have a baseline, a foundation of, of exercise, of strength and conditioning. That is the same to be a worker for Christ. You have to dig a deep foundation before you go out in ministry. You've got to be a person marked by integrity of Christ-likeness. And the way you do that is through spiritual disciplines, reading your Bible, praying, confessing your sins, entering into the mission of God. You have to build a baseline level of character in your life. Character, calling, character, conviction. Because you have to know God. You have to know his word. You have to know what animates him. You need to have a conviction, a passion for the mission of God. Here's the reality. You guys heard a sermon on Sunday on Matthew 28. You heard multiple talks over this weekend on being sent. If you don't understand why God wants you to be sent, why God wants you to be on mission, that's okay. It can take time to understand why. But here's not what's okay. If your parents ask you to clean your room, the solution, if you don't understand why, is to not do it. Like That's not an acceptable solution to that. What is an acceptable solution, if you don't understand why, is to ask questions. Okay, why do you want me to clean my room? Those sorts of things. If you don't have a conviction to participate in the mission of God, then actively pursue a conviction. Actively pursue what does God's word say about ministry, about God's mission to reach the nations. I have to have a conviction. And lastly, I have to have competency. If I'm going to fulfill the unique role that God has given me to participate in his ministry, his mission to reach the nations, I have to be competent in it. So if that's sharing the gospel and you don't know how to share the gospel, don't be okay with that. Learn. If there's more people who are ready to hear but less people that can speak it, well, learn how to speak it. Learn how to share. If you don't know how to help somebody be discipled to follow Jesus, learn. Read a book. Ask somebody. Read articles. Actively pursue competence. So those are the four distinguishing marks if you want to be a worker. 
Calling, character, conviction, competency. So where do we go from here, guys? Where do we go? It can be a very overwhelming thing when you think about 8 billion people in this world. It can be a very overwhelming thing when you think about 3 billion of those 8 billion have little to no access to the gospel. It can be a very overwhelming thing to think about the 400 campuses in the United States and the number of those that don't have a church actively working to reach students with the gospel. That could be an overwhelming, a paralyzing thing. It can be a discouraging thing when you get into the game, when you get into ministry and you pour yourself out, when you are actively trying to be faithful, to be a faithful worker and you see little to no result. That could be an exhausting thing. And guys, the thing that we have to keep coming back to is the reminder that we see in Matthew 9. That as Jesus is looking at this crowd, what does he see? He sees sheep without a shepherd. And in the midst of being a worker, the thing that I have had to come back to over and over again since my freshman year is that I am not the shepherd. I am a sheep. But there is a good shepherd. And in John 10, it says that good shepherd laid his life down so that we could come into the family of God. And now what's left for us is to be faithful sheep who look at other lost sheep and say, hey, you know what? That thing you're going after, it's not going to satisfy. Why don't you come meet the shepherd? There's been so many moments in ministry for me, whether it was well I was paid or not paid. There's been so many moments in ministry where I have just felt like a sheep in the shepherd's arm, and I look at other sheep and I say, hey, you know what? There's room for you up here with me. Get into his arms. The thing you're looking for comfort or satisfaction or joy in, it doesn't satisfy. And I don't have the answer, but he does. The one who would lay his life down. The reality is in Isaiah 53, it says that we all like sheep have gone astray. But the Lord laid the iniquity of us all on one person. And that person was Jesus Christ. And when we realize because of that, he calls people out of brokenness. He heals you and is the great physician that Matthew 9 talks about. The one that brings healing to those who are spiritually sick. And that now he calls us to go back into a world of brokenness. There will be joy and fulfillment as we join God and his mission for us. So the question for you tonight again is, are you going to remain a fan? Or are you going to see the great God that we serve who would rescue us from sin and death? who would send us back into a broken world and embrace the call to be a worker. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for this salt company and the tremendous ways that you're using this group of workers on the campus of the University of Minnesota at St. Kate, at St. Thomas, and, and in the surrounding areas. God, thank you so much for these students who have seen the way that you call us out of brokenness, have seen and experienced your grace that heals us from sin. And God, have now been people who, in view of that, see the way that you see the crowds that are desperate for the hope of the gospel. Lord, I pray that you'd continue to use them and use all of us in a tremendous way to make disciples of all nations, seeing them come to know you, to identify with you, to be taught to obey you, and then be sent right back out into a world that is desperate for you. 
God, continue to give us opportunities to be used by you and along the way to remember the great shepherd, that we can trust a shepherd who would lay down his life to follow him into a broken world to be used by him. And God, that at the end of the day, our role is to simply point other lost sheep into the arms of the shepherd that has found us and rescued us. Lord, we love you. Amen.